I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the movie, movie lovers. lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we kick it off by talking about the week in review, which movies and TV shows we have seen since the last episode. Move on to the main event, which is a main topic of discussion or a main review. And then finish up with film faves, our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode... We are we, discussing interesting things. Indeed. We have an exciting main event, which is a review of Joker by Todd Phillips, starring Joaquin Phoenix. And we're going back to the look at the decade with our favorite horror films of the decade in conjunction with the best of the 2010s articles on the gibsonreview.com my subconscious is totally screwed this whole month so it's all for you guys <laughs> that's right all for you the sacrifices shanna makes uh and with that note i wanted to take a beat and check in with you shanna it's been Five months since your accident that you had, and you have been such a trooper over the past five months doing the podcast and uh, kind of working through everything. Uh, where are you at now? How, how are you feeling? What's the progress been from month one to month five? That's really nice of you to ask. So for people who have been in accidents, they'll understand that like when you're coming out of the three-month period, what tends to happen is you have medium pain days and then you'll have flare-up days. And if you have like one light pain day, then you'll have like a severe pain day the next day. At least that's what I'm feeling. What's been interesting about this experience is I now have a better understanding of what it's like for people who have chronic pain of some kind. It's very, it's a very difficult concept to wrap my head around without experiencing myself in some way. And usually when people say they have back pain, I'm like, back pain? What, what could that possibly mean? And what could that possibly feel like? And have you tried this? And have you tried that? And it's like, no, people with back pain, they're trying everything they can because they have back pain. Mm -hmm. And so it's really opened up this extra layer of compassion in me and understanding of people. And so I'm grateful for that. I'm not grateful that I got in an accident in the first place. Mm -hmm. It really does derail your life quite a bit. And really briefly, where are you at now compared to where you were before physically? Month one is definitely like I can't do anything. Mm -hmm. And it's a very frustrating place to be. Uh, and month five, it's like, I'm sick and tired of this crap. Mm -hmm. And even though it hurts, I'm still going to try and work how I used to work. And I'm still going to try and do chores the way I did chores. And, you know, my body will act up. Any progress uh, comparatively? Are you able to do more? Are you, are you feeling that you're getting better? I feel like I have days when I get better and I feel like I have days where I'm worse. So okay. that's that's the answer there. Gotcha. And how are you today? I have neck pain. So uh, let's see how this goes. Well, we appreciate you being here and, and sticking with it. All right. So with that, why don't you get us started with our week in review? It sounds like you got the opportunity to binge an yet another Netflix TV series. Because this is what you do if you have a flare up. <laughs> you binge a TV show. I got to watch Netflix's Umbrella Club 
Academy. Oh my gosh, it's not a club. <laughs> it's the Umbrella Academy, you know, based on, a, I believe, a Dark Horse comic. I think it is based on a comic for sure. I'm just not familiar with it myself. But this is the one that stars Ellen Page, yeah? Well, and that's why I was like, oh my gosh, of course I want to watch this because Ellen Page. Anybody else that we know in it, like off, off the top of your head? I don't think so. Okay. What is, what oh, is it I'm sorry. It's the woman from uh, Grey's Anatomy and Private Practice. She's got the red hair, usually. Kate, what's her name? Kate Walsh? Mary J. Blige is in it. She's pretty cool. I love her character. And yes, you're right. Kate Walsh is the other person that we know of. The reason I like this show is because it incorporates time travel. Of course. Okay. So this show is about, I believe it's seven babies that are born on the same day around the world. And all of a sudden this philanthropist guy... Uh, adopts all these babies he's like how much do you want for these babies these babies were born in really interesting ways like uh, someone one woman kissed um, a, a man and she jumped in the pool and all of a sudden this baby developed in her and she gave birth within a matter of minutes mm. so Weird. very interesting circumstances turns out all these children have something special about them they have some sort of superpower uh, except for Ellen Page's character. And so all these children are given numbers, and that's their names. You're number one, you're number two, whatever. And they're growing up as brothers and sisters in this household with a droid mother who looks like a human, but, you know, she's she's a computer. And we get to see you know, little flashbacks of what it was like growing up like that. I think the youngest we see them is when they're four years old. Then when they're like 10 and they really just want to be loved and they're not being loved because this man that adopted them or rather purchased them is trying to develop them as best he can for the upcoming apocalypse. And this is all within the first, you know, I think 20 minutes of the episode. Wow. And, you know, it very quickly tells you, hey, we're, we're doing this stuff. Uh, slowly but surely, everything, you know, is revealed to you. Uh, each character is really interesting. I love the performances. I love the time travel. There's a lot of fun music in this show. In certain ways, it reminds me of a teenager-friendly version of The Watchmen. Oh. Because to me, The Watchmen had you know, these really cool elements of costuming, powers, music, and, you know, it was really, really adult and cool. But this is like, I feel like this is like a good teenager introduction for superheroes that aren't all heroic all mm. the time. Mm. Like, they're people too. Okay. So I feel like it's a good show for that. I enjoyed it. I maybe give it like a 7 out of 10. So, uh, and, and did you just see one season of it? Is there more than one season of it? Currently, there's only one season. Okay. And the way it ends, it leads you to believe that there's going to be another season. Right, right. I would expect there'd be more. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it could be a three or four season show. You know how sometimes you can get that sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right on. Very cool. So that's The Umbrella Academy on Netflix. I have two things 
that I saw to uh, catch you up on. First of all, I feel like it's... Was it all horror? No. No, <laughs> it wasn't. But So the first one, I feel like it's like required of me to talk about. It is Steven Spielberg's first theatrically released film called Sugarland Express. I don't have a whole lot to, to say about this, so I'll only spend a couple of minutes on it. First of all, it, is, it stars Goldie Hawn and William Atherton. William Atherton, some people will know as kind of a jerk, playing jerks in the films Ghostbusters and Die Hard. He, well, this is the first time I've seen him not be an out-and-out jerk. They are basically uh, convicts who she helps him escape from prison even though he only has four months left but there's an issue with their child being taken away from them or about to be taken away from them by the state i think and so they go on the road kidnap a trooper in the process and uh they go on the road with the intention of getting their kid who i think is staying with her parents and then running the entire film is the road trip to where their child is and the ensuing pursuit of every law enforcement officer, it seems, in the area following. And because they're taking this trooper hostage, they're afraid of doing anything to provoke this trooper from possibly getting killed and so it's a very slow pursuit where there's literally following them along and and kind of going along with whatever Goldie Hawn and William Atherton decide to do. This is a very different Spielberg film. I think this is the only this may be the only Spielberg film I have not seen. So kind of good for me to have finally caught up with this one it's a forgotten spielberg film it seems to me because everybody seems to talk about the movies that came after this one it's interesting that while it does retain some of the themes that you see consistently through a lot of spielberg films about parents and children it's a lot more of a simpler film than what you typically know Spielberg films to be in terms of like if it almost feels like anybody could have directed this film in a lot of ways um even though it's one that for whatever reason was greatly praised by the likes of Pauline Kale as one of the greatest debuts cinematic debuts ever I think it's fine I think it's definitely like right in the middle of Spielberg's films it's not one of his worst at all it, and But at the same time, he made great strides as a filmmaker way after this. As a matter of fact, this came out, I think, a year or two before Jaws. And it's remarkable to see how much he grew in leaps and bounds just between Sugarland Express and Jaws. So it's if you're interested in watching, you know... Spielberg's whole film uh, career, where he started to where he is now, it's definitely worth hunting down. I don't know that it's available to stream. Maybe it's available to rent on Amazon. I don't know. Um, I had to get the, I had to rent the disc. But that's Sugarland Express. The next thing that I saw was actually from this year. It is closer to the overall theme of the episode of horror in that it is the film called Ma. 
I believe written and directed by Tate Taylor, who is best known for having done the film The Help at the beginning of this decade. It stars Octavia Spencer and an assortment of teenagers. The teenagers are trying to get some beer, get some alcohol. They're underage, so they try to talk people into buying the alcohol for them. And Octavia Spencer's character ends up being the person they talk into doing it. Turns out she was the wrong person to approach because she's got her own issues, even though she seems to be very magnanimous in opening up her home for them to and their friends to have parties. She has some other things going on in her head, uh, and it escalates. This is a film that we were curious about for quite some time when it was about to come out and, and when it came out. It got decent reviews, and ultimately when it came down to me renting the film, Shanna, you opted out of seeing it, yeah? Well, only because we had watched so much horror that week, and it was totally overtaking my my dreamscape, so I was like, you know what, I'm good, it's not worth it. You were at your limit. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, Shanna, oh, I, I definitely took a bullet for you. <laughs> It was that scary? No, no, uh, no. <laughs> uh, it's. I had said in a previous episode that Rocket Man was the most disappointing film of the year. This may be the worst movie I've seen this year. And it's interesting because it's one of those movies where as you're watching it, you're like, well, this is okay. This is fine. There's nothing special here. Uh, but then you think about it, and then you think about it, and you think about it, and you realize just how bad it actually is. Uh, and, you know, it re- really requires more of a spoiler-filled discussion, so I won't get into it too much. But I will say, Octavia Spencer's character's motivations are so lame. It's like something that you would see in an 80s movie, and it would have been passable then. And the way it's executed, her motivations are executed, is is just uh, just so lame. And then what she does, which by the way, like most of what you see in the trailer doesn't actually happen till like the last twenty to thirty minutes of the movie, which is interesting. Most of that, like when she, when things do escalate, you're kind of left thinking, like, what the hell is she thinking? Like, what is her plan? Because all signs to all the things that she's doing points to her and surely it's not going to end well for her ultimately and i say that that's not a spoiler i'm not giving away what does happen but it is the kind of thing where you think about it and it's like this is a really poorly written movie and is it not like a i've got nothing to lose so i'm gonna be this particular way she doesn't play it like that it doesn't necessarily make sense. It really doesn't. Some of the things that she does in the climax just doesn't make sense. And I, I have to say, I'm not a big fan of Tate Taylor. I'm one of the few people who put the help on my worst of the year list that year it came out. And I don't think he has grown that much as a filmmaker. And Ma, if Ma is any indication, that's certainly the case. Octavia Spencer does what she can with the material created by her friend. She probably she clearly enjoys working with her friend Tate Taylor, but um, there's not much beyond her in the film. And even then, 
I can't even necessarily uh, recommend it on that level. So, so that is Maw, a really bad movie that I really don't recommend you see. Shanna, we watched something also from this year, kind of segueing even more into the theme of the episode. We watched Jim Jarmusch's film from this year, The Dead Don't Die, his take on the zombie films. Now, obviously, this is one that could also include a very deep uh, spoilery, spoilery discussion. I hope right? you're not going to make me talk too much about this. We will have to be as vague <laughs> as possible in our impressions. The marketing uh, for the film didn't even talk specifically about what the film is about or what you can expect from it. It really, really just focused on the huge cast that is involved that includes... Bill Murray, Adam Driver, Tom Waits, Iggy Pop, and so many others. I can't even remember. Uh, Tilda Swinton is another one. So, Shanna, what did you think of The Dead Don't Die? Did it live up to your other beloved Jim Jarmusch film, Only Lovers Left Alive? Nothing compares to Only Lovers Left Alive. I feel like that's the most precious movie I have. It's so perfect in so many different ways. But back to the film we're actually talking about. This, I don't really have much to say other than this was a really interesting interpretation of the genre. Mm. And I really liked seeing the cast that we saw. There were even a few surprise appearances. And I thought the way that the story was unfolding was really interesting. I thought the direction he went was you know really worthwhile watching it's the kind of horror film that doesn't make me scared and wake up at 3 a.m thinking about it Mm. so that was kind of that was nice it's a nice break yeah it's not a scary movie really it's not really scary it's kind of like (laughs) it's it kind of falls into the category of like we all know how this would how this would end in real life and here it is (laughs) but with a few twists and turns hmm yeah, I liked it quite a bit. It strikes me as the kind of film that you're either on board with or you're not. But I definitely got on board. I, I kind of just took it as a ride and kind of enjoyed the ride where Jarmusch is using the the playground of the zombie genre to play around a little bit. He gets a little bit meta. He makes references to other films of the genre. Uh, he also doesn't necessarily skimp on the gore because there is a scene or two that does have your typical zombie gore in it. Yeah, you know, uh, and it, but he, he he is just playing so much, and he's even playing with people's personas, the the cast's personas as well. You know, like uh, Tilda Swinton is a great example of that. A little bit with Bill Murray too. And it's it's if you just go along with the ride, it is a lot of fun. He does even actually use the zombie motif as a metaphor for our current society as well. So it's not like it it's not all, it's all for naught, you know. I, he is trying to do something also while while having fun with it. I wouldn't say I wouldn't characterize this as um, the kind of fun that you'd find in something like Zombieland, but it, it's also like 
if Jaramush were to do something like Zombieland, if you're familiar with Jaramush's style, his understated, very indie style, then, you know, you have an idea of what to expect with The Dead Don't Die. And I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I thought it was a fascinating movie and, and both fun and interesting to think about, too. So I'd give it probably a 7 out of 10 myself. I think that's about right. Yeah, yeah, yeah? all right. Very good. So that's The Dead Don't Die by Jim Jarmish, and it seems like we both recommend it. Now, that about does it for the week in review, and now it's time to move on to the main event in our review of Todd Phillips' Joker. Arthur, does it help to have someone to talk to? My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. She told me I had a purpose to bring laughter and joy to the world. Is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? (laughs) Gotham has lost its way. What kind of coward would do something that cold-blooded? Someone who hides behind a mask. I used to think that my life was a tragedy. But now I realize it's a comedy. And that's from the trailer to Todd Phillips' Joker. The IMD description of Joker is, In Gotham City, mentally troubled comedian Arthur Fleck embarks on a downward spiral of social revolution and bloody crime. This path brings him face-to-face with his infamous alter ego, the Joker. The film stars Joaquin Phoenix in the title role, Robert De Niro, Zazie Beetz, Francis Conroy, Bill Camp, and Brett Cullen. So, typically when we review a film, we like to focus first on the good, what we liked about a movie. We find that pretty healthy before we focus on the bad, what didn't work for us, what was terrible about a movie, and its flaws. Then we do our spoiler discussion, get into the nitty-gritty of a film, and final thoughts as well. So, Shanna, the Joker. As I recall, this film was not one that we were looking forward to much. Uh, Share with us a little bit about your journey towards seeing the film and how the film turned out for you. What, What did you like about it? So I was rather worried about watching this film 
I wasn't sure how it was going to make me feel. And of course, I'm very protective of the Heath Ledger portrayal of the Joker because I thought that that, I really thought that that was perfect. Mm-hmm. It really, it made sense to me, his mm-hmm. portrayal. And then we saw Suicide Squad and we had that. And <laughs> that didn't sit very well with me. I have no problem with people playing with interpretations of the Joker because at the end of the day, we have to remember that Batman is like one of the oldest franchises. Mm-hmm. So of course it's going to get tinkered with and played with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going to the extreme of, well, I'm just not going to watch it because I'm a Heath Ledger fan uh, is a little extreme and like not fair. Mm-hmm. So I tried to, even though I was worried, I tried to be like, okay, well, let's just see. Let's just see what happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was actually pleasantly surprised and I actually really like it because it's only about the Joker. It's not about the Batman featuring the Joker. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of nice to see just him for a change and to see how he develops. Now, I did think that that we were going to see the story of the Joker as we know it, based on which comic book is that? Are you referring to Alan Moore's The Killing Joke? Yeah. Okay. So is that is that canon? Is that like that is how the Joker became the Joker? Is that con- is that what it's Well, considered? it was at one point. I don't know. I don't know about now. There's so much that's happened in DC lore over the past decade that I am uh, completely oblivious to. Okay. And so at one point, yes, it was. Because, and I say that because what happened to Barbara Gordon in that story was considered canon. Okay. And influence and, and, and everything that came with Oracle and everything was because of what happened in that story. So, therefore, the origin must have been. Hmm. Okay, so I thought they were maybe going to do that. Mm-hmm. Not the whole book, but right. at least that part. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm actually really glad with the direction that the movie went. Because I find myself loving him understanding him, feeling compassion for him. And the best way I can describe this via more movie geekdom is I like to look at this film how uh, the Ghostbusters look at Rowan. They're like... Rowan, can you remind us? Okay, so it's the female Ghostbusters movie and they're approaching the bad guy and the bad guy says... You have no idea how I was treated all my life and I'm done being treated like this. And so this is what they deserve. And the Ghostbusters say, we've been treated just the same as you have. And we're not complete psychopaths. Mm. And so I like to look at the Joker in thirds, like like a third. I completely understand where you're coming from. A third, I'm like those people somewhat got what they deserved. And the third, I'm like, okay, you took it too extreme. So Hmm. that's how I like to look at this film. Okay. And ultimately I really appreciate that it was made because it makes me question quite a few things that we're dealing with in society on some level right now. Okay, cool. Very interesting. Very interesting. I, I have a feeling we'll have to dive in a little bit deeper during our spoiler discussion. I have a feeling we won't have a very big discussion outside of spoilers, too. 
Uh, so let me share with you first my journey for those who may not have been listening to all the episodes this year. We talked about this movie in our, I think, 2019 preview as well as our winter pre- or fall movie preview episodes. And I approached this film with great reticence uh, and reluctance. I wasn't sure, first of all, what to make of it when it was first announced. I didn't, I didn't understand what it was before even the trailers came out. I just was not fully on board with this thing. And it was by Todd Phillips, who I'd have to look at his career to see everything else he's made. But I believe he's the guy who made The Hanover. And so that seemed oh, very that's interesting. Yeah, it seemed very curious to me. It was not a movie I was excited about, and then I saw the trailer, and it's like, okay, well, this feels like it's meant to be an origin movie of Joker. I really did not need an origin of Joker. I think that the way Heath Ledger played it, and it was written in the Nolan films, his origin, A, is ambiguous, B, completely irrelevant he is a force of nature a force of anarchy that's what he represents Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter what he came from it doesn't matter uh, what created him whatever you know i feel like you're the problem then (laughs) say i don't care where he came from i don't want to solve the problem before it becomes a problem (laughs) well let me remind you this is looking at it as a conventional comic book movie about that someone decided i'm going to make a movie about joker Right, and that's how I was looking at the film mm-hmm. before I saw it. Now I see it, and I realize the movie is less a Joker, quote unquote, Joker origin story, and more of more of a film that uses the idea of the Joker, uses the idea of the Gotham City, the world of Gotham City. As meta, as something to represent ideas. This is not a conventional comic book movie. This is not a movie that is just an, a Joker origin story, right? This is not meant to be some prequel to Suicide Squad or whatever. This movie is aiming for something way more. In fact, you can look at it as a comic book movie if you want to. But I actually see this film as, as, as more about a character who is beaten down by life and pushed further and further, hanging by a thread the entire time, and, and, and it's just a matter of time before that thread snaps. It is a character study. It is a very dark character study. It is one that is on par with with films by Scorsese. You know, it has this. First of all, it it does have the '70s kind of aesthetic to it, which a lot of uh, Scorsese's films. You know, he came out in the '70s. It has a very Mean Streets kind of vibe to a Taxi Driver kind of vibe to it. And these are things that actually made me go from I could not care less about this movie. Even the day before we watched it, I'm not necessarily interested in it, but we should review it to this is one of the most fascinating movies of the year. So I really, really like the direction that Todd Phillips went with this. 
This is not something I would have expected from him. And I especially really like Joaquin Phoenix's performance, who honestly is a guy who I, I can't really point to many Joaquin performances and be like, oh God, that yeah, he was not good. You know, he's always really great and he's gotten better with age. Every year, every performance he gives feels like he's getting he's um he's getting better and better. He's probably one of the best actors of our time. You know, if you're to make a top five best actors of our time right now, Joaquin Phoenix uh, has to be on that list. You know, if you look at everything he's made and every performance he's given from her to this. So, uh, and even Walk the Line. So he's magnificent in this film. He's definitely transformed his body for this role. That was quite something. Yeah, that yeah. that absolutely is. And he has his own take on the Joker laugh, which absolutely works. It's different from any previous take on the Joker laugh. And I was completely sold on it. It is absolutely creepy. Yeah, watching your face when... In the beginning, his laugh is kind of somewhat normal. And then as the story progresses, it gets more like the Joker, how he would be. And watching your face of like the creepiness being registered inside you was really amusing to me. Well, and I think also the film, does it not start with him laughing? Is it not a close up of him laughing? In front of the Department of Health and Services yeah. person? Yeah. It definitely... That's an interesting start to the film because it immediately puts you off your footing. You don't know what's going on, right? Yeah, you're it, trying to figure out the timeline and... Yeah. You, you're, you're, you're completely put off your footing from the beginning. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's probably as much, much detail as I'll give right now <laughs> of what happens in the movie because the trailer doesn't even really show you what happens in the movie remarkably. No, it's just giving you an essence of what he's like. It, yeah, it's a lot of imagery. It gives you an idea of the mood of the film, but also like you do get a sense that it's an origin story from the, from the trailer, but you don't get a sense that this is as much of a character study as it is, right? Yeah, I think this is a really fun film in that we all know who the Joker is. Uh-huh. I mean, three-year-olds know who the Joker is yeah. to a certain extent. Right, Batman, Lego Batman movie. Yeah, and so we're all aware of him. We're all aware that this used to be a human <laughs> mm-hmm. that eventually snaps. Mm. And so as we're going throughout this film, we're like, when is he going to snap? What's going to be the last straw? Oh, yeah. And it it's a very put you on edge film and it's really interesting because if you had to make like a joker origin story like i don't know like 50 years ago it would be completely different oh totally it would be a lot more cartoonish too well yeah yeah and it's like i see more of humanity represented in the joker now than i ever have yeah so i think i think that that's really interesting Yes, absolutely. I want to dive in a little bit deeper into spoilers, but first, Shanna, was there anything that didn't work for you about this film that you could talk about? There were a lot of white men in this film. We, mm. we could have had more black men and Asian men and everyone else in there. There's not a lot of women in this film either. There's two. And so 
I feel like representation-wise, we could have done a little bit better there. Mm. So that's the only criticism I really have. Um, Story-wise, it all made sense. But let's try to do better with representation, shall we? Let me build on top of that because that is the one thing I think this film, because of its nature, does open itself up to criticism for. In that it is a film about class struggle, right? It is about the haves and have-nots. It's about what happens with the have-nots and the ones who really have not and their daily struggle and the thing is this film is so white right like there is only a couple african-american characters i can remember off the top of my head one of them is female anybody who partakes or is represented as part of the struggle let's say is white right and i think like it it would make more sense if you did see, well, the world isn't just about a bunch of white men struggling, right? Like, the, there's people of a variety of ethnicities who go through these struggles as well. They may have certain nuances to them, you know, that, no pun intended, color their experiences, you know, and make them a little bit different from Arthur Flex, but... Why aren't why don't we see them on the streets? Like part of me is like, are you trying to make white people empathize? Because I feel like maybe, you know, that doesn't happen as often as we'd like. But at the same time, I'm like, the world is not just about white people. So, yeah, especially a metropolis like Gotham City. Yeah, there's going to be all sorts of people. Of all sorts of identities in that system. And we do see, actually, now that I think, talking it out, we do see some African-American youths who are are in it for, like, two, three minutes. I'm not saying that we don't have African-Americans in this film at all. But what I'm saying is, at most, we get suggested that the, the economic situations breed crime, but... Like, we don't have characters that really represent or are uh, illustrating the picture outside of the white male experience, you know? Okay, so you're saying this is very much a white male experience showing one side of the class system to the other side. Is that what you're saying? Sort of, yeah. I mean, like, we only get, like, even, hmm, hmm, try not to spoil uh, or take... Other thugs, let's say, other criminals, let's say, other protesters, let's say, in the film are all white, right? And um, we have rich white people and we have poor white people. We don't have a lot of representation of of other races in here. And I think, yeah. and, and I don't want to like really spend a lot of time on this point. I, I, I'm just... Uh, adding on top of your point which is yes this is the one criticism it does open itself up to why isn't what if you're dealing with a class issue why aren't you seeing uh, other people struggling with this class issue hmm. even if including you're, women <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> you know absolutely yes you only get one or two women that are kind of dealing with it 
but one is definitely you know dire situation more than another so from what we what we see so it's there's not a whole lot we're given in terms of um the struggle and i think that you can do that you can have those nuances while still being about just one person yeah i mean you know we've been to enough comic-con panels where the like they specifically talk about comic books like even though you have a white male character as the main character you can still have representation in the background characters which which is not the case here not so much all right so that being said uh for those who haven't seen the movie yet i will just sum up and say because of that issue alone i docked the movie down to down to uh, 8 out of 10. This probably would have been a higher scoring film for me if it just opened up its worldview with the the issues it's discussing. But otherwise, the film is one of, one of, again, the more fascinating films of the year. It's very well directed, very well performed. And, and so uh, I definitely recommend if you haven't seen the film, see it. I would I would agree. Eight out of ten seems fair. I'm glad it was made. We need more films like this. Plus better representation. So there we go. Yeah, so if you haven't seen the movie, I recommend you skip ahead to our film faves countdown. And you see the timestamps in the show notes for when to skip ahead to. Because we are about to get into spoilers for Joker starting now. Okay, so Shanna, one of the things that you agreed on in the car after the movie is we need to really dive in to this film. Do we need to like recap it? Are we just assuming everyone knows what we're talking about? Yes, we're going to assume that the people who are listening right now are the ones who have actually seen the movie. Okay, cool. So they know what we're talking about. We just have to give context to what scenes we're referring to. All right. All right, so what did you want to talk about? I love the scene in the train with the three white men, the one woman, and Joker. Because it's how I look at the film, like I said previously. I look at it in thirds. Two-thirds, I understand. I'm, I'm compassionate. I, I hear you. I see where you're coming from. You probably need to be hospitalized, but I hear you. Mm-hmm. And then the third is you went too far as a human there's something very wrong here mm. kind of kind of thing and i'd like to talk a little bit about it because the thirds refer to the three men he's going to kill he's had enough he's finally getting a chance to defend himself he shoots two men and then the third man gets away tries to get away and he ends up going after that man and shooting him i think three or four times yeah which you know, I've been watching a lot of crime stuff. Usually if you let off one shot, two shot per person, it it can be seen as a defense. Yep. But if you're then going after the person... Hunting them down. Hunting yeah. them, and then shooting them, it's probably a total of six times. Mm. That's, that's where you cross the line, you know? <laughs> to but, say the least. Yeah, but are you thinking of that when you're so scared about being beat up? Like, are you thinking about that? Probably not. Like, if you've been beat up a whole lot and, you you know, you've... 
I find myself loving him and understanding him hmm. so much in this film. Wow. Okay. And it's so dangerous because, <laughs> you know, like at the end of he at the end of the day, he does take that third and that last third and 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 a lot. It's, it's you know it it, go, it it eats more into him and becomes more him. Uh-huh. And so it's just really interesting. I find it really interesting that I feel that way mm. because um, I realize, I, st- I start questioning everything in this film. Uh, when we learn that, when we learn that he was five when he suffered his brain trauma mm-hmm. and was abused and tied to a radiator, mm-hmm. we find out that his mom didn't even know he was there, you mm-hmm. know? It's like, what kind of society saw that happen, had the evidence of that happen, and didn't put him in a different home? To your point, more importantly, this is after she'd already been put into an institution for having mental issues, and um, she went back, she was given, put back in that home in care of the child. So that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. What kind of society mm. allows that to happen? Mm. What kind of society cuts funding so low that the mentally um, challenged people don't have anything to help them? Mm. Not even the drugs, not even the people to help them. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like the society that created the situation got what it deserved did all these people deserve to die no because who's actually at the top making these decisions and we're led to believe that the haves are the ones making these decisions so i love this interpretation of the joker i love the climax that we get where he shoots his ho- his favorite host what is that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about the TV show. Yeah. 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 He, mm-hmm. Because Robert he's done. He was going to commit suicide because <clears throat> yep. he was hoping, you know, he was going back to his journal, hoping that his death would make more sense. Yeah. And this this realization happens where he's like, my death isn't going to make sense to these people. Mm. So I'm going to kill. And it's almost this extreme version of like self-preservation that's happening. Mm. Like I'm not, it's not worth it to kill myself but if i kill this guy maybe i'll get my message out there it's not like he asked for any of this all no. this stuff just kept happening to him right. and i almost got happy for him when he goes to try and talk to thomas wayne oh and all those people are wearing all those people are part of this movement i compare and contrast with woman's march because they wear the pussy hats and then these people are you know going against the the haves and they're wearing clown masks right. so it's Protesters. like these two different yeah. it's these two different versions of protesting right mm-hmm. and he's walking by all these clowns and it's based on him and it's really interesting because i got he has this like happy moment like a genuine smile for just a minute and i almost felt mm. happy that he created a movement until it got violent throughout the film. Then I was like, oh, well, shit, here comes that other third where mm. this has gone too far. So there's this very, like, ping-pong effect that happens for me about how I feel about him. Well, let me respond to all of that. Because uh, this is specifically with the Joker. And then I want to talk about Thomas Wayne. Okay. 
So, I will say, while the film paints a picture that helps you understand what how one person could go from A to B, and helps you understand what can happen with certain experiences that people are given in their life and how they're constantly under the thumb of life in no way did i ever feel like i was on his side i i always felt on edge like i'm about to see this person pop and I did not want anybody to be around him when he does, because when he does, it is not going to go well for that person nearby. And so I felt that with any familial attachments he had of any kind as well, I worried for their well-being. And so that includes when he for, when he cornered Thomas Wayne in the bathroom, I did not expect that to go well. I thought he, you know, he might smash uh, Thomas Wayne's head into a sink or something, you know. I expected him at any moment, he was, he was, the entire time, he was hanging by a thread. And at any moment, I expected that thread to snap. In no way did I really feel happy for any sort of protest revolution that was starting to happen. Because for me, I saw it as the society's um, on simmer. And it's, getting it's reaching its boiling point and it's going to explode right and through the film you get that sense where it's on on low and slowly the patience tank is on empty it goes that temperature rises throughout the film with not just arthur fleck but the rest of society and it comes it reaches a boiling point it's on medium high and it's about to explode and it does in the third act right so I, I had a, a completely different take where I think in a lesser Joker film, you would be cheering him on. Whereas this film, because I think it's less about the character as we know it, Joker, and more about this, this picture of a man who is completely strung out by life and being literally kicked while down. It was a, uh, the tone and everything and the tension and my expectations were completely different. And so I was unsettled and never on this guy's side fully, but understanding and um, empathizing maybe with his, his struggles, you know, and understanding where he was coming from. If that makes sense, you know, I mean, the guy can't get a break. He learns that his mom's not really his mom. He learns his mom's, he can't trust anything his mom has actually told him his whole life. He realizes his mom was a prison, essentially. Yeah, he realizes his mom is actually crazy. Everything he believed that actually the haves, Thomas Wayne, everything they said, while really off base and rude and completely dismissive to Arthur's face... Uh, was actually right about his mom. Yeah. Right. You know, he, he loses his job. He uh, he gets screwed over by a co co worker. He he's 
off-putting enough that he can never have any friendships or relationships. Everybody's always kind of... He's that guy in the room that you're like, you can kind of get along with, but you're a little uncomfortable and you never you would never hang out with, right? He's that guy. Um, so as a result, he has no one putting an arm around him and checking in on him and seeing if he's okay. Even the social and health worker... <laughs> She's from How the start. How is she so neutral? She's so wooden to him, you know? Um, like, she knows she he's off. She doesn't give him any feedback at all. Right. And and we learn, of course, she doesn't really listen to what he has to say either. So, I get it. I get it, but I'm never, like, I'm never rooting for him, you know? Um, I'm worried about what I'm about to see happen. Yeah. The entire time. So, that's my response to, to that point of yours. Oh, what else did you want to discuss? <laughs> Shanna's the crazy one, and Jeff is the sane one. <laughs> it's like, should the boiling point happen, Shanna's going to be the joker. <laughs> Jeff is going to be, I don't know, who are you going to be? Well, certainly not the Batman, because I definitely don't have You're going to be much. the poor woman whose apartment I walk into, at, like, <laughs> right in the, the middle stake. of the night. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so don't fuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> so what else did you want to discuss? Uh, I love that they call out Thomas Wayne on his bullshit. Okay, so you have this mansion. We all know where you come from. Yeah. We all know how much money you have. It's, okay. It's like, it's an unfathomable amount. Uh-huh. You know? And in this time... And where has that money gone? Right. It is very clear, based on the society that they are living in, in this world, mm-hmm. that you have not contributed a big check to social services Mm -hmm. you have not contributed a big check to some sort of non-profit that helps scoop up the people that that get left behind from social services not working no non-profits nothing Uh, right there's nothing there's nothing to indicate to me that you're actually putting money into helping society Mm -hmm. be better you're not changing any laws you're not lobbying I'm not really sure what this man does. I always just assumed... Well, this is a different version of Thomas Wayne than we've seen, ever okay. seen before, Well, what is right? it usually? What is it well, usually? usually he is a lot more magnanimous. He um, it depends on various different versions we've seen, including, I think, the Nolan version. Gotham was in a lot better shape before he died. You know, uh, it was a bright, shining city. You know, he, he put his money into the community. Well, um, I certainly didn't see that here. No, no, this is a um, different version of it. And I like that it like kind of calls him out. Like, who are you to say you're going to save society just because you're a billionaire? You and know? again, it goes back to my point of this not really being about these characters that we've known. It's really using them to be representations of ideas. Yeah. And Thomas Wayne is, a, is an idea of the one percenter. Hmm. So I just, I, I really like that because you know what? Maybe Thomas Wayne wasn't as bright and shiny as we've been led to believe. Mm. And it's good to question everything, isn't it? It's like, right. we shouldn't just be accepting, oh, well, he's a Wayne, so obviously he's fine. Right, you know, right. No, he actually might not be because we're all human and we all have a dark side and a light side and mm. we all do good things and bad things. Um and I think you're right. I think he does. I f- always forget this, and I don't know why, but I always forget that the Joker is the representation of anarchy at its highest. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I think he's a representation of 
society gone wrong and we're always so close to going wrong right Mm -hmm. there's certain things that'll happen and we're like holy shit and then something will correct it something that's interesting about the color used throughout this film is it's very muted color and then all of a sudden when he starts feeling good about himself after he's killed the guy that fucked him for his job the co-worker yeah yeah we start seeing a lot of yellow and yellow is usually symbolic of warning. Mm. And it's that's when, you know, the train scene happens that hurts the cops. That's when... The subway scene. Yeah, yeah that's mm. when the, like, the protests are getting really bad. And all of a sudden, we see so much yellow mm. in the city. I thought that was really well done. Yeah. We even see yellow sunlight in the very end of the film when he's talking. He's obviously in Arkham. He must be right. He's in Arkham Asylum. He's getting yeah. questioned by the next therapist. and Yeah. Oh, and that actually reminds me, like, we it's pretty heavily suggested that things did not go well with that woman at the end. But what do we think happened with Zazie Beetz and her daughter? Do we think that he left them alone? I feel like that scene when he's in their apartment and it's revealed that every experience that we've seen them have together was actually a, his imagination. I feel like that scene Which I did is foresee. left open to interpretation of, of did he leave them alone or, or not? I wish we knew. What do you think? It's hard to tell because he let the dwarf friend go. Sure. So maybe he let them go, but maybe he only realized, maybe he realized at the same point we realized it was all fake. I mean, got confirmation because I did foresee this, that it was all like in his head. Maybe that would have been enough to kill them. But then you said there was no evidence of blood on him. Whereas every time he does take someone out, there's evidence of blood. I, I take it as while I'm uncertain what his intentions were in the apartment in the first place, why he went in there. I take it as that he did not kill them because... We see that he's clean. There's no sign of of blood or anything. Which I guess there could have been strangulation because it could have been this sort of crime of passion because he thought they were together and they weren't. So I'm really uncertain. Yeah, and then like, what is what does she represent to him too? I feel like she represents what he could have had had he been able to take his medication continuously. Had he been able to get help. Well, and, and even the medication. In his case, it's questionable. He was taking seven meds, and, and they it, weren't doing. And honestly, it did not seem like he was the healthiest of dudes when he was on the medication. You know, so you I know. I mean, there's some commentary on pharmaceuticals too. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of commentary on things. If you, yeah, based on what's formed your life, you're going to be able to interpret it in this film. Really quickly, in, in order to wrap up, I was noticing, you know, the film only has like a 69% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I was looking through the criticisms. From well-respected and established critics, people that I even respect, and the the common through line with all the people who did not recommend the film was that it's all sound and fury signifying nothing. There's no point to the film. It's just really miserable. Do you feel like the movie is saying something? Yeah, I feel like all those critics, as much as I love each of them, Maybe they're not living the hard life. Maybe they aren't living. Maybe they aren't doing three jobs. Maybe they aren't on medication. I mean, I'm not accusing anything and I'm not assuming anything. But look, I mean, I've gone through a lot in my life 
and there's stuff I can pick up on in this film. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it is trying to say a lot, but I think it's also not trying to bash you over the head with what it's trying to say. Um, I know it's unconventional in taking a villain, a superhero villain, mm-hmm. and saying those things through that superhero villain. Mm-hmm. And how cool is that actually in our time right now where we're ingesting so many superhero films? So I feel like those comments aren't very fair, and I don't, I don't think that they're very well-rounded. Yeah, I feel like there are movies out there that say less, that get a pass from those same people. And I, I don't have specific examples, but I feel like that's the case, you know? And so why why is this one? Is it because it's it's never balanced? Is it, just, you know, because it's so miserable? Why does this one get criticized? I don't know. I don't agree I do highly recommend this film, as we noted before. But what do you think about the film? Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Now it's time to move into Film Faves. Film Faves is our segment wherein we count down our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, often marching backwards through time. It's inspired by a segment originally on the Gibson Review blog. This time on Film Faves, in collaboration with the Best of 2010 series on thegibsonreview.com, wherein we are going genre by genre, looking back at the decade, counting down our favorites per genre. This month, given it's Halloween, and it's a great month for horror, we are counting down our favorite horror films of the decade. Now... Part of the idea of this is to give you an idea of our tastes in movies, but also hopefully to expose you to films you have yet to hear of or see. To that end, we also try to direct you uh, where you can find these movies on the major streaming platforms. Most of the time, these films are available to rent on Amazon. A lot of the times, they're not available on the major streaming platforms, but we do point out when they're on Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO Now, and Hulu. Now, with all that said, Shanna, horror of the decade. This is not a strong point for you, as I understand it. So you did have to bone up a little bit to catch up and and uh, see a body of, of, of horror films to draw from. What was the process of this list like for you? And did you notice anything that stood out to you? Well... Watched a lot of horror to the point that it really ate into my subconscious and I was having nightmares. All for you. So um, I did have a disappointment. Like I didn't get to watch Suspiria and I really did want to watch that. But I hit a certain point. I think it was after we watched It Follows and You're Next and something else. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I think I'm I'm tapping out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I would have liked to have watched that. At some point, I will. I noticed that I'm really attracted and I'm okay with horror comedy. Mm-hmm. And I'm very much open to watching horror movies that deal with grief. Mm. Because I think that grief is like such this, it's such a big concept. It's almost like the way I talked about my accident earlier. It's a very difficult concept for me to wrap my head around and how to relate relate to others who have dealt with 
that deals with grief. So I noticed that I really enjoyed that, movies that deal with that. So uh, would you say that there's uh, quite a few on your list of films that deal yeah, with grief? Yeah, definitely comedy horror and definitely grief mm. horror. Interesting. And were there any years that stood out to you as great years for horror? No, I think it's pretty evenly spread. Oh, interesting. Okay. And there's like maybe one zombie movie, maybe three or two vampire movies, and then like uh, several like this could happen in reality to us. Interesting. I noticed that, first of all, this was a great decade for horror, uh, for supernatural horror. Not that there is a lot on this list, but of course I'm making a best of the decade list that goes on the blog, and then I'm just taking my favorites here. And between the two, I noticed there's a lot of supernatural horror that came out this uh, decade. There's was, was a great decade for supernatural horror. I just realized and I'm probably going to have a hard time listening to your picks. Maybe, maybe I'm we'll see. Probably going to have to leave the room every second. We'll we'll see about that. But I also noticed that 2017 and 2018 were great years for horror. I think there's three picks on my list from 2017 alone. And then between the two lists I created, there's at least four films from 2018. I have a feeling that overall 2017 may take the cake uh, in terms of best years of the decade, too, uh, just in general in film. Uh, You might see a lot on my top 100 that are from 2017 alone. But as far as this list, you know, I had seen already like over 60 films, 60 horror films from this decade. So I already had... You're not bothered at all. Right, no. Lucky you. And I, you know, I've seen some bad ones, and I've seen some really great ones. And so I had a lot to draw from for this list, but I did need to refresh my memory. And it is, like you said, Suspiria, it's good to note, there are films that we still have yet to see, much to our chagrin, especially Midsommar, which I'm going to try to remedy tonight. So, uh, you know, but also Ready or Not... Girl with All the Gifts, which was a movie we were hoping to take uh, to catch up with with this list. It's Chapter 2 and Happy Death Day seem to be the most notable films we had yet to catch up with. So if you're fans of those movies, uh, apologies. But uh, Shannon, why don't you get started with your 12th favorite horror film of the decade. My number 12 is 2014's A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. This is an Iranian film. Uh, it's taking place in a, as they describe it, ghost town called Bad City. Okay. And it shows us the life of a lonely vampire. This is the only vampire in the community and the only one that we know of in this world. And, uh, you know, she tries to make connections with humans and then becomes fiercely protective, which is something I love about this genre of vampires is when they make a human connection, they're fiercely protective. It's almost as if that's been turned off for so long because they rely on humans to feed. Mm. And so when they do find one worth protecting, it's it's really freaking cool. There's a, There's a couple of beautiful horror shots in this film. Which is um, shot in black and white. Shot in black and white, yeah, so my favorite. And uh, is this the same person that did Persepolis? No, The Bad Batch. This is Anna and Lily Oh, The Bad Amapur. Batch. Okay, all right. So 
it's very interesting, beautiful cinematography. Absolutely. And it's not so scary that it's going to wake you up at 3 a.m. Very good. So my 12th favorite horror film of the decade comes to us from the year 2010, the very start. It is Paranormal Activity 2, which I won't go into too much detail in. For Shanna's protection. First of all, I didn't watch the entire Paranormal Activity series. I thought after the second one, we're done. <laughs> you know, let's not run this thing into the ground. And from what I gather, they pretty much did. Some people are a fan of number three. I haven't seen that. But I really appreciated number two because it has some surprises in its continuity. And it doesn't entirely repeat what we've seen before. This time there's more cameras throughout the house. There's an actual family that it follows. It is creepy. It's really creepy. And, of course, knowing that it's not a ghost, it's not a poltergeist, it's an actual demon that is the subject of all this makes it even more horrific because, you know, what do you do with that? So, but yeah, Paranormal Activity 2, I really like, I like the direction it ends up taking. It's a hell of a surprise if you haven't seen it before. Of course, definitely watch the first Paranormal Activity, absolutely, before you watch this one. That one's from 2009, it was a huge hit. And uh, 2010's Paranormal Activity 2 is almost as good. Oh, and that was one thing that surprised me is I only have like two movies on my list that are actually available to stream. You'd think given the month, there'd be a whole yeah. lot more available to stream. Um, you could probably rent a lot of my selections on Amazon. But as far as the actual streaming subscriptions, there's only two and I'll point them out. So weird. I wonder if maybe it's because network TV airs a bunch of movies i have no idea i haven't watched abc for a long time but i know like my first year here i think it was abc or someone else was like having a horror movie every night hmm. yeah well what are we are we the 10th of october or something today 8th anyway yeah. <laughs> it'll be the 15th when this <laughs> it hits your ears my 11th pick is raw from 2016 it's a french film so it's more like 2017 for america it features two sisters that are attending veterinary school. And really, it deals with the theme of pulling away from your parents, pulling away from how they raised you and what principles they pushed on you. Because, you know, we all have the best intentions for our kids. But at some point, you're going to leave the nest and you're going to figure out who you truly are. And it becomes this exploration of rejecting vegetarianism, which used to be what shaped her life. And now we're going to see a different side. Well, it's also extremely sexual, too. It's a sexual awakening, even more so, right? I just didn't get that. Oh, oh wow. But that's, that's just me. Yeah, and we've talked a lot about that movie, too. So I, I had a feeling it might be on your list. I left it off of mine for that purpose. And you can also listen to previous episodes of The Movie Lovers to hear more discussions on that film. Uh, so it's no wonder that it's on one of our lists. My next favorite horror film of the decade is It Follows from 2014, which is a really clever film that plays on both the whole sex trope in horror films. You know, like like Randy says in Scream, you know, if you have sex, you're going to die, you know, in a horror film. It plays on that, but it also works as a metaphor of STDs, and it's a really fascinating, very cool film. 
that is about a girl who has a lovely little encounter with a boy she likes, and then it it turns very sour very fast as we learn that the guy was passing on this entity to her that is always very slowly stalking whoever has it in quotes and if um if it touches if it touches her she's gonna die and then what happens is it'll go backwards from each previous lover and and find them and kill them and uh it's just this this daisy chain that has to keep going you know you cannot defeat it you know and it's really really cool really fascinating and a lot of fun too one of the most brilliant and unique film horror films of the decade this is the one that woke me up at 3 a.m. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. This no is, kidding. Um, really good. Yeah, really very effective. unnerving. It follows from 2014. My number 10 is from 2014, What We Do in the Shadows, which is now even a TV show. But watch the movie first. It's by Taika Waititi. It's really good. Super funny. Vampires. There's, there's all the keywords I'm throwing at you. Anyway, <laughs> so you have vampires, about four of them living together, and they're so ancient in their ways. Mm-hmm. And someone gets turned, and converted, whatever you want to call it, and is trying to bring them into the modern times. And it's just, it's kind of got that documentary feel to it. Yeah, it's like Big Brother... For vampires. A vampire coven, yeah. Is it a coven? It's a nest. I think it's a nest. A okay. vampire nest. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll believe I mean, you. All my supernatural stuff mixed up. It's really funny. You know, you, you've got these these characters that are really different. One's trying to connect with the ancient one, and he's just not connecting with him. Then the new guy comes, and they connect immediately. And it's like, you know, it's house dynamics. So, right. really fun. Yeah, absolutely. My next favorite, my number 10, is Get Out from 2017. Of course, the Jordan Peele masterpiece that was a huge sensation, does a lot with very little, which is a great, has a long history of great horror films along those lines that do a lot with very little. Of course, this stars... Daniel Kaluuya, Allison Williams, Catherine Keener, Bradley Whitford. Uh, it has a very solid cast. Every character has its purpose, and there's not a wasted moment throughout the film. It's also probably the most culturally significant horror film of the decade, I would say. And it really took this hilarious sketch comedy mind and turned him into our modern day master of suspense so that's get out 2017 my number 10 film my number nine is train to busan it is from awesome it's from 2016 and it is available to stream on netflix yay this is my favorite zombie film of the decade The zombie apocalypse is here, and they are moving quick and fast and ravenous. So who will live? Who will die? Will the train get to the sanctuary they're trying to seek? That's right. That that film is a blast. I had a feeling it might make it on your list, so I left it off of mine. Just missed my list. So very cool. 
And actually, that's hitting a lot of best of the decade horror film lists, too, I'm noticing as well. My next film is a favorite of Shanna's. It is one of the best, actually probably one of the best adaptations of the decade, too. This is a law. Is 2017. Hey, 2017. It. It's a law. By Andrew Machietti. Starring Bill Skarsgård, Finn Wolfhard, and a few other cast members. I forget off the top of my head right now. But this is, you know, when... Hollywood announces there's a remake of some kind or another adaptation of some some hallmark in pop culture. I'm usually pretty reluctant, and it seemed to me, well, the only reason to make this movie is to be even more gruesome about it. And, and you know what? It is gruesome in parts, but it is far more effective than the TV miniseries from 1990, as iconic as Tim Curry's performance in that was. But uh, Bill Skarsgård is doing something even more remarkable here. A lot of what he's doing is him. It's not CGI. That's fantastic and, and brilliant. It is extremely scary and effective film, but also a really great story about these uh, about these kids. You actually care about these kids. It's a great group of kids that takes me back to the days of things like Explorers and Stand By Me and the Goonies, and so it's a wonderful blend of everything, and it is one of the best horror films of the decade. 2017's It is my number nine. Wow, you make me want to maybe watch it with that description. For a second, I thought you were talking about something else. Well, you know, and it might be one of those where you like to watch it with the sound off. I know like you, you like to do that sometimes with horror films, too. No, no, I mean, I don't do very well with entity <laughs> things. That's true. It's true. That's why I didn't recommend it to you. But there you go. What's your next film? My number eight is You're Next. This is from 2011, and I really had a lot of fun with this film. It was great. I recommend this to everybody. Uh, Rely on the Australian to save the day. So this is about a family that's super wealthy. They're having a celebration for their anniversary. So they've invited all four children and their significant others. And they're going to have a lovely little dinner party. That is until people with crossbows and scary masks come and attack them. And mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of freaking fun. It's How did you describe it? You said it was like a... Well, it's a home invasion home movie. Home invasion movie. Yeah. 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 Uh, this was fun. I'm glad that you like that. It's it is kind of a blast. And and what did you think of the main character? Oh, I I thought that this was badassery at its best. Yeah, and it's probably worth noting who that main character was played by, because uh, I would actually like to see something come of of this film for her, because there was so much praise for her. Her name is Shiny Vincent. I believe she's Australian too. Yeah. That's why I said rely on the Australian to save the day. That's right. Very cool. Awesome. My next favorite film, uh, horror film of the decade is The Shallows from 2016. Oh, really? Yeah. So this apparently comes under nature horror, I guess. I see it on a lot of horror lists. And 
this this film I was really drawn to at the time for whatever reason. I I really really wanted to see it, and then I did see it, and I just it just um stuck with me, and I grew to absolutely love this film. It and I know it's bonkers to say this, and maybe it's a distant second in these terms, but I feel like it is the best shark film since uh since Jaws. You know, I think it's better than Open Water. You know the shark movie thing it doesn't have a lot of good films to draw from but the shallows is definitely one of the best blake lively plays a young woman who is kind of taking some me time she goes surfing and in an area where no one really knows her and she finds herself stuck on a rock because of a giant fucking shark (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it, it, part of the problem is there's a whale not far off of shore that is do- that is dead that is um a lot of critters are feeding off and the the whales or the the shark is attracted because of that whale and so it's trying to feed off of that whale and um she's stuck on this rock because well you know if she's splashing around, it's going to feed on her and anybody else who comes to save her. So it's a very effective thriller. She's uh, fantastic in it and badass. And one of my favorite performances by Blake Lively. That's that's too real for me. That's too close to home. I mean, like I hear it. when yeah. when we were in grade two, we were taught how to avoid sharks. And if we did come across one, what you had to do. I mean, like. What grade twos learn survival skills like that? Well, South Africans do. Badass South <laughs> Africans. So what's your next favorite film? My number seven is one that you successfully showed me, and it's Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Nice. From 2010. 2011. Okay, great. So we have a ditty of a movie here. <laughs> <laughs> I love this hillbilly adventure. All they wanted, all Tucker and Dale want to do is go and have a vacation. They're hardworking. Mm-hmm. Now they get to go to their cabin. They get to work on their cabin. They get to, you know, do it up a little bit. It's been it's been neglected for quite some time. Go fishing. And, yeah, they get to have some boy time, man. They yeah. get to bond. They're just, they're so sweet with each other. They're so kind. They're best friends, yeah. to be clear. They're like so, they're so lovely. Yeah. That is until... Uh, they come across some college students who think that, you know, these hillbillies are going to kill them. Um, and they're not really doing anything to help themselves because one walks up to a college student with a scythe. And it's like, that's not going to do anyone good. <laughs> you could be yeah. wearing a business suit and like it's still not going to look good for you. <laughs> really fun. I love this film. I loved it so much. Oh, it's, good. It, you know, that's why it's pretty high up there. It's, uh, again, if you haven't figured that out, it's horror comedy. Really fun movie. Yeah, and available on Netflix. My seventh favorite horror film of the decade is from 2010. It is Predators, which I still contend is the only good sequel to the 1987 badass Arnold Schwarzenegger, John McTiernan film. With the uh, brilliant concept of this alien species, hunter species that can make itself camouflaged and has some really awesome technology. Well, we are literally dropped in the middle of this story where Adrian Brody and a slew of other great characters, including Walton Goggins, I believe, 
find themselves in a mysterious forest that they are just airdropped into, and they discover they are being hunted. One of the really cool things about this Robert Rodriguez-produced film is how it slowly reveals itself to you and how... You know, the plot kind of thickens, the problem anyway, thickens <laughs> the further along you go in it. It definitely delivers on everything a Predator fan would want. And you get way more than just one Predator. It's badass. I was all in when I first saw this film at the beginning of the decade. And it was one that I was really looking forward to and hopeful. And it totally paid off. That is Predators from 2010. My number six from 2018 is A Quiet Place. All of it is Emily Blunt and Millicent Simmons, who I absolutely loved. She was my favorite part of the film. This is all about, I guess, aliens, monsters that are all of a sudden on planet Earth and have brought apart the apocalypse, essentially, because there are very few humans around anymore. Because What's the defining aspect? Because if you make a sound... They get you. There you go. And so they're pretty indestructible. They're, uh, you know, because you can't make a sound, I guess a lot of technology is down. Mm -hmm. No one's able to communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. You're really alone. This family, their daughter, uh, who's played by Millicent, is deaf. So I feel like they have an advantage because they already are living without sound in a way. They're mm. learning how to communicate via sign language. It's such an interesting film because they live on a farm. So you get to see, it looks like they've lived for maybe two years, maybe more, since this alien attack. Uh, the aliens are obviously still there. And, you know, you see their stock and you th like I think to myself, my God, I will not survive because I don't know how to can stuff. I don't know how to mm. mill anything. I, I just like I can't even be quiet. So I'm fucked in this world. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot of fun. It's it's great scares. It's such an interesting way to look at a horror film. And the end is amazing. All right. Very cool. We're at the halfway mark. My number six favorite horror film of the decade is Anna and the Apocalypse from 2018, which I believe we reviewed in the Weekend Review a few episodes back. I'm surprised to see this so high on your list. Yeah, well, I liked this movie more than you did. I, I did have issues with the third act. I do think that it went in some areas that didn't work for me. But the first two-thirds of this film, especially, just totally charmed me and really worked. Of course, this is the Scottish teen musical during a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> oh, and the holidays. It's a Christmas movie. It's like four... It is a cool Christmas movie. Yeah, it's like four different things all compounded and packed in to these 90 minutes and it is brilliant and the songs are great and the choreography is fantastic and the characters are fun i just i just fell all in to anna and the apocalypse i just wish it ended a little bit uh better kind of to stick the landing but that's a that's a fun film from 2018 my number five is get out 
Really? Number five for I you? love this freaking yeah. film. I don't have nightmares about it because there's no paranormal shit happening here. Right. So, this stars Daniel Kaluuya and Alison Williams. Uh, we also have one of my favorite, Bradley Whitford. He's having a diddy of a time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He's having a really... It's like a whitford essence. <laughs> yeah. It's really exciting. I'm really happy for him. Anyway, Daniel Kaluuya is freaking amazing in this film let me tell you what it's about daniel kalua and allison williams are dating and they've now they're now going to go away for the weekend so he can meet her parents and he's not sure if her parents know that they're an interracial couple and at first he's kind of worried about how that's going to go down he feels like maybe they're nervous they don't know how to deal with this mm-hmm but things are not all as they seem. Do yourself a favor. Don't look at anything involving this film and just go watch it. It'll be totally worth it, I promise. In case you're living in Iraq in 2017 and somehow missed what this movie was. Yes. And boy, have I got the movie for you. It's this one. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. My number five, my fifth favorite horror film of the decade, I think is actually a film I talked about a little while back from 2018. It is my first film that is actually available to stream. It is on HBO now. It is Halloween. The sequel by David Gordon Green. It supposes it is the only sequel to the original 1978 John Carpenter classic. And first of all, that's interesting. And second of all, it really works. It's very effective. It is a fascinating film. I think I carried on about it and its and its virtues quite a bit when I talked about it in a previous episode. But it is any and I feel like any Halloween fan worth their salt would really love this film or or at least very much enjoy it. Now I I did kind of like when I saw it I was like well that was great the end. And so a couple of weeks later, when it was announced that there's going to be two more movies by this creative team, I was a little disappointed because, like, well, where are you going to go with it? And, and you know, we'll see what happens with the next two films. I think the first one comes out next year, and I may cover it on the podcast when it comes out. But, uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this film as a fan of the original. That is 2018's Halloween on HBO Now. My number four of the decade is Attack the Block. Oh, really? A successful showing to me. Uh, My poor dog. Because this film is, this is from 2011. It's a British film. By George Cornish. Yeah. And uh, he did the the kid. What was the movie? The Kid Who Would Be King. Yeah, yeah. So, really creative mind. I will watch anything this person makes. It stars John Boyega, for those of you who forgot, that that's Finn from Star Wars. Yeah, this was uh, the world's kind of introduction to John Boyega, really. Uh-huh. And, like, like even then, Attack the Block wasn't that well seen in the States. Well, and I think it also gets confused with that title, uh, Ben Stiller's, one of Ben Stiller's movies, The oh, Block. The- the Watch? The Watch. Because it's got a different title in South uh-huh. Africa. So okay. my, bro- my brother thought I was talking about that. Okay. 
Anyway, my poor dog, because when I was watching this film, there are so many freaking jump scares in this film that I just kept screaming. Mm-hmm. And my dog was like, I don't know what the fuck is going on, but I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> like, my poor dog. Anyway, this is a great film. I highly recommend it. It's it's not scary in that you're going to think of it at 3 a.m. in the morning, but it is it does give you that fun roller coaster ride effect of like I'm gonna scream here, I'm gonna scream there. Yeah. This is all about some South London teenagers who have to defend their neighborhood from aliens. Let's be clear though, like they're total hooligans. Our introduction to them is this mugging is, someone. Like I remember right? in twenty ten and twenty eleven there were so many knife attacks in England. At least that's what BBC News yeah. was covering. Yeah. So, like, I see this and I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. (laughs) I know where this is going. Right. And they're just the worst teenagers, you know, you you could imagine. But at the same time, I really care about them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that is a solid sci-fi horror film. And I forget how how good that movie is. Yeah, because it's like the aliens come down. What do they want? Who are they after? Who will survive? Mm -hmm. There is a dog death. Just very mute it, early on. Mute it when you see the dog. And, and off camera, fine. too. Yeah. At any rate, my fourth favorite horror film of the decade is 2011's Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. As you mentioned, it's on Netflix. I'm so glad that you enjoyed this film, Shanna. I was instantly all in on this movie way back when I saw it, back in the day. It is hilarious. It's such a great twist on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre type movies. You know, those movies or where there's a cabin in the woods or some country folk who want to kill people. It's hilarious. And it's got heart and it's so well done uh, with Alan Tudyk. And I don't remember his, his co-star's name right now. But as a... One of the best horror comedies of the decade for sure. And I don't even think it's very well known. So I highly recommend hunting it down on Netflix as it is very clever. And also it is it has its gore. You know, and if you're a horror fan, you will be satisfied by this film and have fun. My number three is from 2015. It is directed by Karen Kusama. And it is The Invitation. Oh, right on. Yeah. I love this one because, well, this one is my favorite story about grief. We start off the movie with a man and his girlfriend driving, I guess, into the Hollywood Hills. Something like that. Yeah. And Aren't they going to like a dinner party? They're going to a dinner party that they got invited by his ex-wife. Mm-hmm. And you have got to be kidding me. Jeff just found out it's available to stream on Netflix. And I just rented the damn thing. <laughs> so, oh, did you? Yeah. Uh, anyway, he gets to this dinner party with his ex-wife. His ex-wife is, like, I suppose remarried. And a lot of the old friends are there from their marriage. Because, you know, sometimes that kind of falls apart. And there's a couple guests that are not from the past and there's a lot of uneasy unsettled tension so this movie is best enjoyed not knowing much because there's twists and turns and you're left questioning you know 
yourself because you're like well is this right is this what's happening so it kept me on my toes most of the movie and it's fun to watch a second time after knowing what you know what's what because then you can figure out well did i miss a hint over here did i miss a hint over there Mm. so really fun i highly recommend that one that's why it's my number three it's also really intense and it has a whopper of an ending too my third favorite horror film of the decade is 2017's A Quiet Place, which has a genius premise and is executed so effectively and has a fantastic ending to it. Yet not a lot happens because most of the film, as as you kind of described, is just spent with this family trying to survive on their farmhouse by not making any noise and and uh it's just you know you're explaining the premise so well it's a brilliant brilliant idea and uh i just was i think really surprised by the film it might have been one of my biggest surprises of 2017 because i'm not sure i knew really what to expect just based on the trailer is it going to be kind of a trashy b movie is it going to be something something else? It's just going to be a bad movie, you know. And it was one of my favorite experiences of the year, of that year. So that's A Quiet Place from 2017, starring Emily Blunt and John Krasinski and Melissa Simmons. Shannon, what is your second favorite horror film of the decade? My second favorite is Cabin in the Woods. That's my second favorite horror film of the decade. Well, perfect. We can enjoy this 2012 movie edition together. Yay. Would you like to get us started? Because you're pretty good at well, describing films. I'm good at saying what I like about it. Okay. Are you saying I'm not good at saying what I like about movies? No, it's just that's more <laughs> my strength than the other part. Well, first of all, this is a movie that if you have not seen, it's best not knowing much. It's best not watching the trailer, which spoils a lot. Oh, I could not believe that trailer. Just know that it is wow. written, co-written and directed by Drew Goddard, who also did Bad Times at the El Royale. Not as successful a film in, as Cabin in the Woods in terms of creative, creatively speaking. Joss Whedon co-wrote the script as well. It's a brilliant film that is ostensibly about a group of teenagers who go and decide to have like a spring break type vacation at a, a cabin in the woods, essentially. It's supposed to be someone someone's uncle's cabin, essentially. And, of course, everything goes wrong. But what seems like a very rote, generic premise... It turns out to be a brilliant film that is a commentary on the horror genre and horror fans. It stars Chris Hemsworth, and it's cool because it was shot before Thor came out, and but it was released after a year after Thor came out. And so Chris Hemsworth wasn't this big deal when he was cast in the role yet he wasn't a star you know he wasn't the star he was going to be but he does star in the film and so does richard jenkins and bradley whitford in really hilarious awesome roles that i won't describe i'll just let the the movie reveal to you what about you what are your thoughts on the film so what i like about this film is that it's in the horror comedy section 
Yeah. That's my favorite. I've already kind of established that. I like that at the same time, though, it's scary as well. We yes. still get jumps. We're still horrified. Yes. At certain points, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. So it it fulfills all the criteria. It doesn't keep me up at night thinking about it. So that's good, too. I think it's funny commentary. I think it has a really great cast. It It's just awesome. You did a great job explaining it. Well, thank you. So then, what is your favorite horror film of the decade? Well, obviously, my number one is Only Lovers Left Alive. (laughs) When I found out that that is classified as horror, I was like, well, we'll just put that right at the top. Absolutely. There we go. (laughs) It It is a vampire film. It has been a number one on a couple other lists of yours, right? I think it was your favorite movie of that year, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's like my favorite romance. Of the decade. Of the decade. Yeah, now it's your favorite horror film. Favorite of of that year. Yeah. Is there anything uh, more you'd like to say about it? I mean, I've spoken about this film so much, and of course, it's no surprise it's on my list right now. This movie is about two vampire lovers who have been together for who knows how long but are independent in that one lives in something that looks like Morocco and the other one lives in Detroit, USA. (laughs) That's right, yeah. It's like two completely different places, Uh, not alike at all. The male character is depressed and thinking of ending his life, but the female character picks this up and she gets to him immediately. She's there for him. I don't think they've seen each other in a few, like you get the sense they haven't yeah, seen each other. Yeah, it's been a long time. Cause you know, you've yeah. got your whole lifetime together. You can take breaks, you know, it's, right. it's not like you've only got 60 years to live uh-huh. 30 years together, you know? So it feels like they've been away from each other for like five years or a decade. I think it's like a decade or okay. something. And so she gets over to not him. Not even be a century actually. Jesus, that's too long, even if you are vampires. But she gets to him, and the way that their bodies connect and their their affection for each other and their touch, it's like, oh, my God, now that's real vampire love. <laughs> None of this Twilight crap. Right, yeah. So they're connecting. She's trying to help him. Well, her sister finds out that she's there, and she causes, you know, she throws a wrench into the the works the miss the sister played by mia vasikovska yeah which whatever happened to her she was starting to be a big thing in the first half of the decade and i don't think i've seen much of her yeah and so the horror for them that i like about this film is that they're running out of blood to eat it looks like they have to uh, drink a cup a day is kind of their thing and it's very difficult for them to find good human blood because it's contaminated. Mm. So I guess it's a it's a commentary on, you know, our water is a little, it's, you know, it's contaminated in Flint. So there's kind of this connection being made with, even though this is about vampires, there's a connection being made in our reality right now. And that's why it's number one. All right. Very cool. My favorite horror film of the decade is 2015's What We Do in the Shadows by Taika Waititi. Oh, of course it is. Now, Taika Waititi, now he's a director that's really come into his own over the past decade. I saw his first film, Eagle vs. Shark, 
back in 2007, 2008 uh, time period. It sounds like you made that up. I hated that movie. I really did not like think it was that funny at all. It felt like it was it was quirk for quirk's sake. It just did not work for me. I didn't see his following film, Boy, but the film after that, along um, you know, he, he did some TV shows in between. But after that was this film, What We Do in the Shadows, which he co-directed and co-wrote with Jemaine Clement, and they co-star together. Shanna, you already explained this this premise, and I just want to say, like, I think this film is brilliant. I think it's hilarious. The idea of taking each of the uh, the archetypes of vampires from Nosferatu to Lost Boys and putting them all in a room uh, in a flat together is hilarious is so so witty it's so clever and you know it's it's quotable film i'm surprised honestly that it inspired a tv show i'm curious to watch that tv show even though i know it's like about the american vampires it's not the same group which is kind of a relief it kind of opens the world a little bit more and I've heard good things about it. But yeah, Taika Waititi is, is so awesome. And this was one cool uh, film he made this decade. And it's amazing. Like, he did another film, Hunt for the Wilder People. And all of a sudden, he's, you know, a Marvel director. He's making these awesome Marvel films. So anyway, What We Do in the Shadows, brilliant vampire film greatly overlooked by americans if you have not seen it you need to check it out i think you can probably rent it on amazon but it's um unfortunately not available on a streaming subscription that we're aware of so that about does it for us in our favorite horror films of the decade what are your favorite horror movies of the decade feel free to email us at the gibson review at gmail.com And be sure to also check out the Best of the 2010s article on horror movies of the decade to see what ended up making that list and ended up being named the best horror film of the decade by me at thegibsonreview.com. That'll about do it for us in this episode. Shanna, why don't you share with everyone where they can find you online? So you can find me at Shanna Paxton Photography with an underscore between each word on Instagram. See you there. Very cool. Again, GibsonReview.com to check out all the previous articles, reviews, past episodes can also be streamed directly from there. If you want uh, to uh, find a regular source for these episodes, you can go to SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, Stitcher and I think Apple Podcasts as well. Go ahead and hit subscribe. If there's a review option, please leave us a review so other movie lovers can find us. We appreciate that. If you want to throw a buck or two our direction to help offset some of the costs, feel free go to PayPal.com and send a buck or two to the Gibson Review at gmail.com. And then lastly. You can find me on Flickchart at the Gibson 99. I think that's what's... Oh, social media. We're on Facebook slash the Gibson Review and Instagram, the Gibson 99, uh, where I post movie-related content and try to add to the stories a few movie polls. So feel free to participate in that. Next time on The Movie Lovers, 
Speak of the devil, Taika Waititi is coming out with a new movie. We're going to try to oh, see it. Oh, isn't that funny? Did you plan that? No, it's completely by coincidence. Uh, we're going to try to see it. It depends on the release schedule. I'm not sure if it's limited or if it will be wide. But we're hoping to see and review Jojo Rabbit. And then we will do our final 80s episode for Film Faves. It will be... Our favorite films of the 80s, streaming only. So only movies that are available to stream on the subscription platforms right now will qualify for this list to wrap up the 80s. Look for that on October 29th. Oh, that must mean that Halloween's a Thursday. That's interesting. In the meantime, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye.